And here we go, ladies and gentlemen. What do you think? Do I have a career as possible <laughs> ring? Don't quit your day job. <laughs> you know what? I'll, hey, I'll take it. But uh, I was also thinking about doing like a 1920s announcer. Like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome oh, yeah, to... Yeah, you yeah. Be famous, Martha. You want to be famous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, but hey, I'll take your advice and keep my day job. Uh, <laughs> but for the for the listeners out there, welcome to the first episode of Combat Life. I'm your host, Kern Jacobs. And I have here with me none other than Randy the Natural Couture himself, aka Captain America. How the hell <laughs> are you, brother? How you been? I'm doing good, man. Staying busy. It's been good though. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it. Looks like uh you're up to a whole lot. Yeah, chasing, you know, chasing the dream, as always, uh, coming off of an amazing year last year with five films. That's the most I've ever done in a, in a single 12-month span, and the culmination of that was Expendables 4, so uh, pretty amazing year. Did one this year called uh, The Bellkeeper that was fun, supernatural thriller, and then just had to go do a, some pickup scenes for Expendables 4 with 50, so uh that was a that was an experience. So all the films I've done, I've never had to go back and do a pickup scene like that. But uh, they explained it to me and why they felt like the scene was really important to connect some dots and 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 fill in some things with the plot. And uh, so I was like, okay, I'm in. Let's do this. And uh, yeah, it was fun. Fifty's a, a great guy. I really enjoyed working. That's the second film I've done with him. I did one years ago called Setup, actually in Grand Rapids. Cold as hell. <laughs> 12 it's, degrees we're shooting this fight scene in this alley man and you'd run from the heater to do a take and then run right back to the heater yeah so yeah oh it's freezing it's freezing now we, we lost heat last night and had to sleep in a tundra. Oh. Oh, yeah. oh yeah oh that was a that was an adventure my man but we got that oh, back. <laughs> we, we got that up and running thank god uh but yes speaking of expendables four my brother i saw that uh Mr. Stallone said he's returning to, you know, the the R rating, the good, the good uh, yes. action-packed yes. stuff we saw in one and two. You yeah, know, know. that's it's, a long story. You know, they, they kind of wanted to shift to uh, PG-13 for two. And there was a little contingency getting Chuck Norris. Uh, Chuck is, is a very strong Christian. Loved the movies, loved the, the property, but kind of wanted it to be PG-13 so we could watch it with his kids. And so in two, we did takes for both an R-rated and a PG-13 rated. And then at the end of the day, Sly said, the hell with that. We're doing R-rated. Yes. It kind of pissed, pissed Chuck off, frankly. Uh, but it is what it is. And then the producers decided going into three that all these young kids were buying tickets to other movies and sneaking in to see The Expendables they wanted those ticket sales. And so mm. they decided in three to make that one PG-13. Uh, I think that hurt it a little bit at the box office. It was a little softer version of the Expendables in some ways. And the the big issue with three was it got hacked. Uh, about three weeks before it hit the theaters, it showed up on the black market and really hurt them financially that way, which I think was why there's been such a big gap between three and now getting in, involved and getting four in the can so uh interesting there and yes we're back to the r rating which i you know i like i think it's it's a throwback to that gritty 80s type action and and it's really tough to do that in pg 
Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, the, and I think that's why one and two were so successful is because everyone went in there expecting that badassery and they got it. I mean, it was heavy hitting, sweet as hell. Uh, and you just brought up something, you know, that uh, you, you see memes about it all the time of kids in the 70s and 80s, dirt on their face, scuffed yeah. knees, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that brings me to the major topic today, which is mental toughness. And that's mm -hmm. something, you know, that's something that's displayed in the films uh, with you portraying Toll Road with all those other legends. Um, you know, it just it, it feels like that warrior spirit, that warrior mentality, the courage it takes, you know, to to enter battle like that, uh, specifically the cage for you and to overcome adversity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it makes me think of your match in UFC 74 when you faced Gabriel Gonzaga. Oh. And you, you you threw your hands up to block a kick, and then he kicked your forearm and snapped that bad boy in half. Yeah, yeah, yeah he broke, broke my <laughs> I had a nightstick fracture of my my radius, the smaller bone in your forearm, and the start of the the first ten seconds of the third round, he came out and threw a big head kick, and you know his previous fight was against Miracle Krokop, and he kicked Mirko in the head and folded him up like a cheap lawn chair. I definitely did not want that to happen, <laughs> but it was very quick. I got one hand up. I didn't get them both up. And, and uh, I, you know, I felt it, but at the same time in the heat of the moment with that adrenaline going, uh, I got to the clinch was where, you know, which is generally where I like to be. And uh, absolutely. I could feel it click in. I thought oh, that doesn't feel quite right, but uh, <laughs> you still, you know, you're in the heat of the moment. I, I managed to take him down and then within the next, I think, minute, you know, kind of pounded him out and finished the fight. So yeah. then I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm elated, I'm happy, and I'm thinking, well, maybe it's just a bone bruise. Maybe it's not broken. <laughs> and so I go across the street from MGM to New York, New York. I have a big autograph signing and an after party after the fights. And, and I'm standing there in line signing autographs with fans and my hand is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> and I'm like, damn it that's not a bruise that's that's broken for sure that's, that's broken and that's insane like you 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 continue to fight you got him up against the cage the legendary greco-roman clinch uh that you developed throughout your career and you come out on top of the victory you know most people the freaking broken arm no. is gonna stop complain you know <laughs> with an injury like that but not only did you deal with it you came out with the victory and uh you know, it just brings me back to, to kids nowadays. And I know every generation is like, oh, these kids, these kids. Yeah. But yeah. The, these kids like. You know, <laughs> I, <laughs> well, you're seeing it firsthand. I mean, you're in the schools every day. As, you know, yeah. as a day job as a teacher. And and man, I can't imagine. I have a lot of friends that are teachers and they're scratching their heads and they're they're shaking their heads like, man, what the hell is going on in our society right now? And no, it's it, insane. It's, uh, you know, we grew up, I grew up standing on the back seat. Car seat, are you kidding me? No, that wasn't even a seatbelt. I remember getting in trouble coming home from the babysitter as as a as a four, you know, three, three and a half year old. Uh, I'd been hanging out with my babysitter's goats all day, headbutting with them. And so I'm standing on the back seat, looking out the front window. My stepdad, Marco's driving the car, and I decided it was a good idea to headbutt him from behind. Needless to say, it didn't go oh over. Oh, my well. God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I got in a little so. bit of trouble for – and I was forbidden from playing with the goats from then on. But uh, that's just the way it was back then. We drank that's, out of the goats. We, you know – That's you crazy. <laughs> yeah. How times have changed. 
you know, and, and you're they right. Have. It, it, it's it's crazy. It's insane. And, and unfortunately, not not in good ways. You know, I see kids all the time, like athletes with all the abilities in the world to to do extremely well in wrestling, but they just lack the courage to step out in the mat. Mm. Uh, you know, it's 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 the apprehensiveness. Um, and I see it in adults, too, you know, too nervous yeah. to step on a jujitsu mat and compete. Um, so what what would you what would you tell not only these kids, but adults that may hesitate with fear uh, and doubt to, you know, just have the courage to step out there and give it a yeah. shot? Well, fear comes in many forms. Um and it's certainly the thing that keeps a lot of us out of that arena where excellence takes place. Uh, obviously, you got to put yourself in a training environment and a practice environment first to, to develop the school, the skills and the tools. But that fear is always going to get in the way of going out and doing what you've trained to do, doing what you, you, you planned on doing when you set those goals. So uh, I, I, I see people all the time that limit themselves and their exposure to the world just to limit the amount of fear they're potentially going to experience that comes in rejection. Fear of failing is the biggest thing, obviously in athletics that we deal with, but nobody wants to be rejected either. We all, all want to be loved and accepted. We're wired that way. So right. it gets, you know, and, and especially now, uh, you know, and I feel like there were bully, bullies when, when we were kids too. But when I got off the bus and walked up my driveway, the bullying stopped. Now I feel like with social media platforms and all this, you're carrying around this smartphone with you everywhere. There is no escape from it. And not only is it just that one guy that's the bully, it's that whole group that's also on your platform or on their platform seeing all that stuff. And, and there's literally no escape for, from it. Um, and I think that's a huge issue and, and one of those kind of unforeseen connections to, to how connected we are to the social media platforms that we have. And I don't know if you've seen that documentary, Social Dilemma. Uh, it's, a, it's created by a lot of the people that develop these social media platforms and the unintended consequences that, that we're all seeing and dealing with on a societal basis. But I think it goes back a little further than that. All of us baby boomers, you know, who, who had parents and grandparents that came out of the Great Depression and, and through World War II, where things were rationed and, and they saved everything. They didn't throw anything away. Of course, things were more serviceable back, serviceable back then, too. They weren't made of plastic. They weren't made to be disposed. They were made to be fixed. Right. And that, I think, is where we've, we've kind of taken a big turn. Everything is disposable now, including our families and our relationships. Uh, I think we've, we didn't want our kids to go through and, and, and go without the things that we went without. And so we've done them a disservice by handing them all this stuff and not making them earn it and not making them work for a lot of those things. And it creates this sense of entitlement, like you're just supposed to get it. It's supposed to be given to me. Oh, I don't have to go. I don't have to go and earn it. I never wanted to see as a coach that talented guy when I was recruiting. Don't tell me he's talented. That's almost a dirty word because now I know he's gotten away with not having to really step up and embrace the grind and do the work because of that talent. And sometimes the, the talented guys at some point are all going to get up to where everybody's talented. Now, how are you going to distinguish yourself? from all those other talented guys that have that same goal that you have, which is to what? Be a state champion, be a world champion, whatever that goal was. It comes down to then that work ethic and being willing to outwork any of those people that have that same goal that you have. 
it, it, the talent goes right out the window because everybody's talented at that level. So right. it's having that work. At, I'm so thankful for my single mother that raised three of us by herself. And there was the chore list and there was shit that had to get done. And if it didn't get done, there was hell to pay. And, and you, you learn that work ethic, you know, I wasn't out a lot of times playing with my buddies in the neighborhood. Cause I had to weed, you know, the front ditch and get the grass mowed. And there was a bunch of stuff that had to be done as, you know, I was the oldest male in the family. And so it fell on me to, to make sure the chore list and all that stuff got delegated or got done. And, and, you know, that was the way it was. That was the only way the family was going to get everything needed. You know, I learned to cook. I learned to iron my clothes. I learned to wash my clothes. There were a lot of those things that I'm very thankful for from that situation. At the time, it seems like, ah, man, Bobby over there has, you know, mom and dad and everybody in place and brothers and sisters, and he's got it going on. And I'm, I'm over here, you know, weeding and doing, you know, child labor yeah. in some regards and, but I, you know, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, I'm, I'm happy I went through all that. And then that's the way it was because I developed that work ethic. Yeah. And you wouldn't be who you are today if you hadn't. And, and I had to come terms, to terms with that for sure. You know, my dad not being around, never paying support was was a deadbeat. And, and, you know, you feel like at some point you're operating on an inferiority complex. Man, I'm not even good enough for my own dad. And. That could be an excuse to make a lot of piss poor decisions. I thankfully used that as a as an excuse to prove him wrong, to to throw it in his face, to say, nah, see, you missed out. It wasn't on it wasn't on me, it was on you. And, yeah. and I, I think again, I, I feel blessed and fortunate that that was my mindset. I didn't use it as an excuse or a crutch, you know, to do a lot of you know, other things, terrible things that weren't gonna get me where I needed to be. Um but I, I, I get it. I totally get it. And I right. think at some point I had to look myself in the mirror and let all that animosity and all those hard feelings towards my parents and my dad, especially uh, go because they made me the guy I am. And if I can wake up every morning, and look at that guy in the mirror and be okay with that guy, then why would I hold any animosity or negativity towards those people that good or bad for made me this person basically is where I had to come. So not only did you overcome such uh, personal obstacles, uh, just to live as a, a human being with that upbringing, you know, not having your dad, uh, but you turned it into something special that made you a champion, that made you, you know, one of the greatest mixed martial artists ever. Um, what would you tell kids that find themselves, you know, in in similar situations, or hell, even adults? that might be yeah. uh, worn yeah. down over uh you know past uh you know whether it's family struggles or depression or having to overcome these barriers in life you know how 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 do they get inspired like how did you find it within yourself to to do that honestly don't know how i did it i just did it and i feel you know obviously i think i'm, I'm probably lucky that i came through it the way i did come through it but and i think at the end of the day we have to recognize that we can't rely, you know, as, as shitty as it sounds, you can't rely on anybody else, including your parents. At the end of the day, you've got to step up and take responsibility for you, the decisions you're going to make and where you want to end up. Now, that seems like a, a callous thing to say, especially if you're talking about a kid. Kids shouldn't have to deal with that stuff. But we live in a world where this is commonplace. Divorce is, what, 60, 70 percent. There's a lot of single parents out there, a lot of latchkey kids. 
they're doing the best that they can do. Can't knock anybody. Certainly, I have a pet peeve, and that's deadbeat dads. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, that, that that's how I came up. I struggled because of that. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm glad I struggled because it taught me how to how to take responsibility for myself, how to step up. And at the end of the day, it was up to me. Was, nobody else was going to do it for me. I wasn't entitled to shit. It was going to be up to me to <laughs> get you, it done. And you found and you found the way to do it. My coaches were very important to me because I didn't have that male figure. My mom was an amazingly strong person working a couple jobs to take care of both the three of us. And, and uh, those coaches filled that void. When I needed a kick in the ass, they were the guys that stepped up and did that. You know, when I needed an arm thrown around me in a Dutch rub saying, hey, it's going to be all right. They were the guys that did that, too. You know, Coach Casebeer, Coach McAvoy, Coach Winter, you know, Bruce Burnett, John Smith at, at Oklahoma State. You know, those the, the different levels I, I managed to climb up through, through the sport of wrestling. And that's why I walked on that wrestling mat at 10 years old to, to try and get my dad's attention. I'd heard my whole life what a great wrestler he was, what a, what a tough guy he was. And I thought, well, hell, maybe if I turn out, he'll come around. It didn't work. Wow. He never saw me wrestle a single match, not one. And I wrestled for over 30 years. He never wow. saw him. Now he did come around when I started fighting. Uh, he had moved back down to the lower 48. He was kind of hiding out up in Alaska, working on the pipeline as a welder and doing a bunch of that stuff up there. And it was easy to dodge, you know, paying support or any of that other stuff uh, up there. Uh, and then eventually he came down the lower 48, uh, were kind of retired from welding uh, and all of that. And, uh, we reconnected and it was a bit weird and a bit strange at first, especially for my two young, my two older children, you know, they were, they were in grade school at that time when he kind of popped up out of nowhere and they didn't know him. And, and honestly, I hadn't talked to him in 10 years. So it was a bit strange, but at the end of the day, I, again, I had to look myself in the mirror and say, Hey, you know what? I'm all right. And all the bullshit this guy put me through, he made me this way. So I need to be thankful for that and let a lot of this go and recognize who I'm looking at in the mirror. And, uh, it, you know, that mindset, putting that frame around that circumstance, uh, put me in the right place to use it as motivation and, and not use it as a crutch or an excuse. That's phenomenal. Framing is everything. That's Framing fun- is everything. <laughs> I talk about this all the time with my athletes. You're talking about mental skills and, Putting a proper frame around a circumstance or a situation can can ch- completely change your attitude about what's going on. Everybody asked me when I transitioned from wrestling to fighting, man, what do you get more nervous for, a wrestling match or, or a fight? And I'm walking out of that tunnel, going to the cage, smiling, winking at people, you know, pretty calm and relaxed. And, and people are like, this guy's a sociopath. What the hell is wrong with him? But I, I was having so much fun. We're in, in wrestling and on the wrestling mat and having some big setbacks, lost in the NCAA finals twice, lost in, you know, certainly the 92 and the 96 Olympic trials. And again, in the 2000, when I was, you know, especially in 92 and 96, I was the guy they expected to win, to go to the Olympics and win a medal and managed to lose in that final match. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than that if that's been your goal for that many years. So, I've had some amazing setbacks and managed to pick myself up and keep moving forward. And I realized that I was putting way more pressure on myself for these wrestling matches and way more uptight and, and way more what I would call nervous 
And, and they're just that term, that frame right there. Nervousness right away implies something negative is going on. Something bad might happen. You're nervous about it. Why would I be nervous about a match, a fight or a wrestling match? At the end of the day, I'm doing exactly what I love, where my passion is. Doesn't mean I'm going to win, but there's no re there's nothing negative. The sun's coming up tomorrow. The people that really care about me don't care whether I win or lose that match. Again, now I'm talking about that frame I'm putting around that, right? That same yes. circumstance. And, yes. and it wasn't until somebody asked me that question, what do you get more nervous for, a wrestling match or a fight? That boing, this light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, man, I know why I got on a wrestling mat in the first place. It was the most fun I could have without getting arrested. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I had to, I kind of had to get back to having fun on the wrestling mat again. And, and let a bunch of that stress and the minutiae go and, and, and stop beating myself up for, for those setbacks, for those losses. And that was the dichotomy of the frame I was putting around a wrestling match versus the frame I was putting around walking out of that tunnel for a fight. I was having a blast fighting. I was learning new skills every single day I trained. Uh, I was in my happy place. And, and that was the dichotomy of this stress and tension i was putting myself under every time i had to walk back out on that mat because that match was going to determine whether i got to advance and make that olympic team or make that world team and i was doing it to myself nobody else was doing it to me i was doing it to myself so i had to change that frame around that it's like no i'm not nervous why would i be nervous nothing bad is going to happen even if i lose this fight or this match if that's the worst thing that's going on in my life, I'm doing pretty damn good. And I had to put a new frame around it, recognize what really mattered was those little steps and all those little things I'd, I'd forced myself to do to achieve that goal along the way. That's where we, we go away. We forget about that stuff. All the things that we learned and achieved along the way to get to that opportunity to achieve that goal. And we forget about that all the time. Rolls off people's out of their mouths very easily. Oh, I'm going to be a, a world champion. I'm going to be a state champion. But drawing that map and those small steps that are going to get you to that destination are where, again, people go awry. They, they, for, they fail to draw a proper map. You wouldn't drive from East Lansing to, you know, Ohio without looking at a map. What makes you think you're going to go from where you're sitting right now to that goal without drawing a plan, drawing a map and how you're going to get there? And then put the proper frame around that. There's nothing to be nervous about. This is what you love to do. You're getting your opportunity to show everybody what you've trained to do, what you've prepared for. Doesn't mean you're going to win. And some of my favorite fights are the ones I lost because they forced me to be better. They forced me to analyze what I was doing and come back, not only be a better athlete, but a better human at the end of the day. You know what, to our viewers uh, who just listened in on this, you just heard this from uh, one of the best to ever do it to have fun, go out there, compete, let it all go. Uh, that, that's that's pretty phenomenal advice for anyone who plans on competing at some point in their life. Um, brother, this, this has just been unbelievable uh, when it comes to everything that you had to say. You know, you, you've inspired millions. You're continuing to inspire so many people. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today and uh, giving us your – your words of wisdom. Uh, we know that uh, everyone out there competing for new weight combat or wherever they want to compete, uh, certainly appreciate it. And uh, 
thanks again, brother. It means a lot to me. And I know it's going to mean a lot to a whole lot of people out there who are struggling with their, with their own adversity. Well, it's my pleasure, Kern. I, I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of everything that you're accomplishing and all the things that you're taking on, walking into that stuff head on and, and meeting those challenges. It's pretty impressive. Um, you know, I think birds of a feather flock together a lot of times, <laughs> man. So we, we, you know, iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. We have to be accountable to each other and make each other better at the end of the day. And uh, you've certainly done that with me, and uh, I appreciate you. Hey, appreciate you. Love you, brother. You too, man. <laughs> Take care. Be well. <laughs>